Welcome to Filling the Well, a podcast created to nourish, provoke, and inspire artists and arts leaders. I'm Marianne Combs. For arts organizations to not just survive, but thrive, collaboration is key. Particularly in areas that receive less financial support, the ability to pool resources can compound the impact of arts organizations and cultural programs. In this episode, we're going to look at how small arts organizations in rural areas are making themselves indispensable by filling in gaps in community resources. And we'll discuss best practices for authentic collaboration. Our guests today are two collaborators based in West Central Minnesota. Ash Hansen is the founder of the theater company Place Based Productions and the executive director of the Department of Public Transformation in Granite Falls. The Department of Public Transformation uses arts and culture to enliven rural communities. Anne O'Keefe Jackson is the executive director of Minnesota Arts, a mobile resource center that provides traditional materials to indigenous artists in rural areas. She's an enrolled member of the Lower Sioux Indian community and lives on a reservation in Morton. Anne and Ash have been working together over the past year, sharing resources and cultural expertise. Welcome to both of you, and thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Uh, First to you, Ash, what exactly does the Department of Public Transformation do? So we are an organization that uplifts and celebrates rural arts and cultural workers uh, really around the country. We're based in Granite Falls, and we have a number of projects that amplify uh, rural communities through arts and cultural work uh, in and with Granite Falls community in the 18-county southwestern Minnesota region, but we also do a lot of connecting, networking, resource sharing with rural arts and cultural workers across the country. So we we see rural artists and cultural workers, culture bearers as essential in the future of rural communities, and so we do what we can to help connect and support and lift up the work that's happening and to also uh, pilot, try, launch um, new programs that give opportunities for rural artists to intersect with the public realm, the civic realm, um, social life, like connecting and uh, providing more cohesion in rural communities, especially in this time of isolation and polarity that we find ourselves in. And specifically, uh, I I want to talk about the Department of Public Transformation's Yes House. Can you talk a little bit about what Yes House does and what Uh, it is? Yeah, Yes House is an economic development concept. So we're, it's an artist-led um, design-build process. We uh, held a year-long community engagement process inviting residents from the region in to explore what this space could be uh, through artist-led activities and um, worked with a couple of uh, incredible architects, Miranda Moen and James Aronson, who um, are really people-centered architects to then take those ideas and turn them into a design, community share back. And then uh, we're now in the community build process, which will include a series of build workshops over the course of the next uh, year and, you know, getting folks in the door to help actually, you know, put the nails in the walls of this space that we are building together. And it's a multi-use space. Though There's um, a residence for visiting artists and the city artists in residence. We've got a uh, performance venue, recording studio, yoga studio, gallery space, co-working space, and uh, artist workshop. So um, these are some of the ideas that came out of, you know, the community design process and trying to kind of put them all into uh, one building. And tell us about your traditional arts bus that you're working on and how it's connecting communities. Um, Well, 
being in such a rural area when we wanted to focus on traditional art forms and helping artists um, with what they need for supplies, it's just really difficult to find some of the materials that you might need, brain-tanned hides or uh, porcupine quills readily available. And even to find those on internet would be somewhat, you're, you know, putting faith in something that is very, a traditional piece of art to kind of like come in the mail or materials to come in the mail that you're kind of like trying to find resources. And so we really wanted to provide connections for people to be able to create art uh, and really support artists so that they continue their work. Um, also providing space for them or um, resources for them of different funding opportunities uh, for financial support as artists, different opportunities such as the stuff that we've done with Ashley and um, different uh, fellowships that they can be in, involved in to help support them as an artist while they're doing their work. It sounds like you've had great success in getting Native-made cultural work, whether it's literature or handcrafts, into the hands of people who want to be buying from that from the, the indigenous community. Right. I think it's important that really what we wanted to represent was just all Native art um, so that you know, like, these are authentically made and that you have a little bit of a history on who made this. I mean, a lot of times whenever I'm <clears throat> given nice enough to give in a gift, but I like to know who created it, who's the artist behind it, like where they're from, where they live. Um, so you have a little bit more of a connection to that piece of work. Um, so yeah, we've been very lucky for the few um, events that we did do, like really having a lot of connection with people with the Native books of Native authors, contemporary as well as historical information, but really of putting like um, really a connection with Native people and being able to see that in contemporary space as well as traditional art forms. And you're also taking it to the level of food and, and community as it relates to providing food to community. Can you talk a little bit about what your plans are in that area? Well, our Minnesota Arts is nonprofit. And so part of like trying to figure out how can we fund a lot of the work that we want to do, um, not only just through finding grants and funds, but also to have an LLC that we created, uh, Wanawota for a food, little food truck. So most of the gathering spaces that we have where we would sell our art and connect with artists and community, um, it's really based also on sharing um, a meal together, sharing food and that connection that we make as well. Um, so we we also started uh, LLC for Wanawota. And so we've done a few events with food and we really wanna just create that space where community gather where you can eat together at the same time, you know, possibly hopefully have a portable art show, gallery space that would move with the art bus so that you can bring um, gallery and connection of artists to different venues all over the place. So it doesn't have to be an actual physical building per se. What I think is so interesting about both of your projects is that it's founded entirely on collaboration. I mean, neither one of your programs would exist without this notion of collaboration. You're providing resources and serving as artistic catalysts in the region where you live. And I think we often think of rural areas as being at a disadvantage when it comes to support for the arts. But when it comes to collaboration, I'm wondering, are there advantages to working in rural as opposed to urban areas? Ash, what are your thoughts? Yes, I mean, I think that uh, this idea of the practice of neighboring and what neighboring looks like in rural communities really enhances how we we collaborate. I mean, we know each other 
in wearing our multiple hats. And so um, there's, there's, it's like, yes, you're friends. Yes, you're the mayor. Yes, you're also the newspaper editor. Yes, you're also, you know, there's just like you, you, you show up in a lot of rooms wearing a lot of different hats. And, you know, it, those folks who are really active and really involved on a regional level are, are often, you know, in this, in the same spaces together and, and you get to know each other in this relational way. So you have your working relationship, but you also, you know, hang out at bonfires together. And I think that that's kind of part, uh, not that that doesn't happen in the city, but I feel like that kind of tightly woven community effort in rural communities is, it it, it makes its way into, you know, professional and, and artistic collaborations as well. And uh, and then this point that you mentioned, Marianne, of like, and we need each other, and we we need each other because the resources are less less available in some instances, and and that we have a lot of like geographic spread that we have to to reach out to and meet. So there's there's that to contend with as well. And so we're always trying to kind of you know connect with people and uh, across the region to expand our programming as well. And when you think about collaboration, what are some of the advantages or strengths that rural communities bring to collaboration? Well, I think it's really helpful, even if you're living, you know, 45 minutes away, we know a lot of the same people. And it's much easier to get involved and to actually connect with other people. It's beyond like just the work you do. It's personally connecting with people. And so they say, look at what someone's doing and their effort. And pretty soon they start connecting and talking to other people. So pretty soon the whole town knows like what you're doing, what you're trying to do. And so it's so much easier to support people when you get to know them on that personal connection. And it's able to get like support and backing uh, for your efforts as well is because people want to support growth and see that personal connection in each other. Um, So I think that's why it's so important with with a collaboration and so much, to me, it seems easier as a rule opportunity much more than in the city. I think for me, even though I grew up in Minneapolis, even I, I feel much more at a loss on how to connect and how to get involved. But at home or at Lower Sioux or even in this rule in the 18 counties, Like, I see the work they're doing at opera houses. I see the work that Ashley's doing. I see, you know, like, there's so much easier to get involved and support each other. And it feels much more on a personal level. I mean, even as artists, I know in my community, I know families that are artists. So I know the parents. I know their kids that are starting to do artwork. So you just have a different level of connectivity with each other. That helps. Now, the two of you are also collaborating, you mentioned. Talk a little bit about the collaboration. What are you doing together? I can start and then Anne, I'd love to I'd love to pass sure. it over to you. So there are three three projects that we've been collaborating on since uh twenty twenty, the spring of twenty twenty. Um and I've been I've been a like fangirl of Anne's for a number of years orbiting around. And uh, and there was, um, right when the pandemic started, uh, this organization that Anne and I both work with called Racing Magpie, uh, that's based in Rapid City, launched a virtual artist residence program um, right away, like rapidly responding to the impacts of COVID. And Peter Strong and Mary Bordeaux, who who run that organization, uh, again, this kind of rural network of collaborators, like, yes, we have our, like, local collaborators, but then this national network of, like, hi, we're out here doing this work, and there's this really strong base. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I reached out to Peter and Mary and said, you know, we'd love to do something similar in southwestern Minnesota. We want to we wanna do something to support and connect artists in this time. And Mary and Peter were like, yeah, well, uh, you know, as, an, as a white-led organization, 
situation, if you want to work with Indigenous artists, you better be ready for long-term partnership in a deep and meaningful way. And you need partners who are Native-led organizations. And I was like, this is an awesome opportunity for me to reach out to some people that I really have wanted to work with, including Anne and um, and Eileen, uh, Anne's sister, who runs the is the executive director of Dakota Wichohan. So two organizations that, again, I've been like following and, and loving from a distance. Um, so we together... Minnesota Arts, Dakota Wichohan, and Racing Magpie, Department of Public Transformation, collaborated on uh, the Dakota Community Artist in Residence program that was in the summer of 2020. We selected three artists and supported their efforts in uh, addressing the impacts of the pandemic on their communities, both the Upper and Lower Sioux community. It was a really successful, beautiful program, and so we wanted to expand it. And so then we thought, well, what would it look like to include to all BIPOC artists, so if we have Black artists and artists of color, and in addition to Indigenous and Native artists in our region, um, to really lift up BIPOC rural artists. So we began the process of designing, you know, the expansion of what that would look like. Um, that's been this year, and we just launched that call in November of 2021. And um, selected our artists this at the end of this year here. And then the third piece is um, we run uh, another little collective called the Women's Empowerment Creative Action Network. And it's an event series. And uh, Anne partnered with us on our most recent event, which highlighted Oogie Push. Uh, it's called The Adventures of a Traveling Meskwaki. And Minnesota Arts was our event partner and Anne moderated the Q&A and another opportunity for us to deepen the relationships and understanding and connection of Native culture in our region and, you know, connect it to kind of more broadly the Midwest Native um, indigenous folks in the Midwest at large. We had, and then we have some really fun things that we've been dreaming about in the works for the future too. Um, but those are the three that we most recently partnered on. That's great. And what do you get out of this partnership? Um, well, I, it's definitely a mutual admiration with Ashley um, because I've watched the work that she's done. Um, and she's done her homework as well. I love that Mary and Peter gave you that little heads up on what's going to have to happen um, because Ashley's paid attention to that on really connecting with relationships and creating that um, and definitely like that ongoing process of not just like, hey, let's do one project together, but what are we going to do for the future and how are we going to work together? Um, and so it's been a wonderful experience because Ashley brings a lot of different resources. Like I'm just starting out and growing and so I don't have any physical space. One of the things that we've talked about hopefully in the future is a, a shared gallery space um, and then also featuring an artist or storyteller to come into the areas um, so how can we feature that? So she's been very generous with her support and help and like the different connections that we've made. Um, so I think it's essential, especially for myself as starting out as a nonprofit, I need to have a little more connections to resources at this time. So it's it's been invaluable to me. Um, and not only that, but also helping watch um, both her organization and Racing Magpie on experience with having artists in residency, having that much more AV and technical experience than myself on like, how do you do these virtual sessions? What's the best way and different methods? So it's been a great learning experience for me. Hmm. And Ash, what are you getting out of this collaboration? Really wise friendships. <laughs> 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 Keep us uh, held accountable and um, and in in you know in, again like enrich and deepen um, the programs that we're offering and uh, this you know this is generational healing work and and um, decolonizing efforts and uh, and you know in knowing that you have 
collaborators that are working together and learning. I'm learning so much, learning so, so much, and um, just always humbled and honored to be in space with Anne and Eileen and Peter and Mary and my own efforts of decolonizing my my mind and myself at our organization at large. In addition to that, it's the, these friendships that are developing and beginning to dream together of like what you know what does our region really need and um, and how can we support each other. I think that um, one of the things that we started offering right away was fiscal sponsorship for rural arts organizations because it's it is really hard to to launch a nonprofit and so and not everybody needs it for every project. So that was a, one of the other ways in and I work together early on is just the kind of the the bridge while you're waiting for your paperwork, but you might want to apply for some grants. Like how can we help each other out with that and, and those resources? And then the same thing. It's like maybe not everybody needs this particular program to be run in their with their organization. But if you partner on it and you can um, deepen it and broaden it, uh, expand it with partners, that seems to work uh, well in rural spaces because of just the population size, you know, however many people are going to be involved and and then how spread out everybody is. You want to be able to connect with more people. Um, and so I think, you know, it's, it's, it's that networking piece. It's the relational piece. And then the opportunity for the wisdom shared is most appreciated, most appreciative of that. There are often subtle and not so subtle uh, power dynamics in collaborative projects. And one institution might have the money and structural capacity, while the other institution provides the cultural expertise and authenticity. What do you recommend people do and not do when it comes to approaching other arts organizations to collaborate? What are some of the best and worst practices in entering into this kind of a relationship? Well, I think for myself, it's been continued growth with the relationship with Ashley and Mary and Peter, really developing that friendship and relationship and trust. It's usually sometimes been the piece for me for collaboration where I've kind of stepped kind of back is because I'm not sure others approach on cultural sensitivity, on connectedness, of really being authentic with their artists and what the motive is to have them there. And it's to educate and it's really to enlighten people. And that to me is what what I'm looking for. And so I think that's just really the growth. And I, I I see that as also the what would be the pitfall, right? If you just show up and they want to put your name on a grant application, but really you're not doing any work together and you're not really working together and there's really no shared benefit from both organizations, then I would definitely stay away from that. But I, I've really appreciated the growth and the friendship at the same time. Ash, how about you? I know you've had experience with working as a rural arts organization with partnering with urban, larger, metro-based arts organizations. Does that have its own power dynamics? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think it just ditto and echo everything that that Anne said. I think like a couple of little little tangibles, um, yes, have relationships throughout. So it's not that you're just tapping when you're doing a grant application, as you mentioned, but then also um, in the design of it, in like the writing of the application, in the early, early stages, in the thinking about it, like I hey, am considering maybe applying for something like this, talking to your your friends and partners before it's like due tomorrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is, I mean, sometimes that happens, but, you know, and then like in the design of it and in the language of it and in the feel and how we invite people in. I mean, that's like, we had multiple design meetings for both Ignite Rural and Dakota Community Artists in Residence before we even, you know, 
got the logo together just to kind of what is the feel of this and and how are we, um, what do we want this program to really do and be? So I think that like early connection is key and ongoing connection is key, the in-between projects, the before projects. And I think with urban institutions, our experience has not been necessarily that way either. It'll be, uh, we'll get a phone call or email from somebody who says, hey, we got an arts tour grant. Can we bring our show to your community? Is it, what's it called? Rock Falls? And you're like, okay. That must you be know. frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, I really think this is a great opportunity, but there's like, it would have been really nice if maybe you would have called us first or something um, before you wrote us into the grant or or uh, came and visited. The, I, one of the things that really gets me is is visiting. Like, I love to visit. I love to spend time with, with folks. I know it's harder right now to be in person with each other. But when I do get a request from um, a larger urban institution to collaborate or partner on something, my first um, request is that they come for a visit. I'm like, that sounds great. Why don't you come out, see us, meet us, see our space? And most of the time, then the emails go silent. It's like, that's a long drive or like, you know, it's rare to get that reciprocal exchange. But often we are expected to come to the cities for lots of things. And um, yes, it's a five hour round trip drive for me as as well as you. So, and you have more resources than me. <laughs> so like, where's the sharing here? Um, so I, I think it's really important for, uh, you know, urban organizations who are thinking about touring, partnering with rural organizations, becoming statewide or offering statewide programming or strengthening your statewide programming. I think a lot of folks say statewide, but are really metrocentric. Do some road trips, like just come visit when you don't have a project on, just like do do, do that research, do that homework and um, come have a cup of coffee with us and see what's going on so that later, you know, you can have a more uh, authentic connection with with folks in, in outside of the metro area. Yeah, I'm hearing from both of you, trust and time that these are two key factors in collaboration is that taking the time and also this sense that it's not a one-off, that you don't come to us thinking you're just going to do this one project, but this is, if you're going to invest in us, let's make this a relationship where we continue to invest in each other over a long period of time. Does that sound right? Yeah, definitely. I think so. Yeah. I've been lucky to get to know Ashley a little bit more than she knows about probably, but like I've really seen like, authentically how she does her approach to different partnerships that she's trying to create. So, but I think that's terribly important is the time and the relationship, the energy. What advice do you give people who are seeking to connect, but maybe are scared to, to do it the wrong way that, you know, in terms of going down the path of collaboration and partnership who are maybe used to spending the majority of time just struggling to keep themselves alive as opposed to partnering with somebody else and investing time in another organization? I think for myself, it helps me to be a little bit more um, accountable for my portion of the relationship. If I'm by myself, usually I'm like, you know, I wonder if I should apply for this funding. I wonder if I should do this. But I love that working both with Ashley and Mary and Peter, that I've been able to bounce ideas off of them when we're trying to like think of like, would this work? Or even I, there's a um, something coming up from a filmmaker that I want to talk to Ashley about. Like, I think that would be amazing for that community. So, I mean, it's just 
allows you to really, I think, expand your ideas on your possibilities. Um, and then especially if someone, you know, has great shared space that you can use or help collaborate with, because if not, you're really limited on what you could do for shows, how many people you could have attend. Um, and I think that would feel like a barrier, right? If you didn't have an actual physical space, uh, you know, you just want to apply to do these different things where I know if I can work with Ashley or if I ever get out to Rapid and Mary and Peter have a beautiful new space, like there's opportunity there. Um, and so I think that's just part of that growth process. Like even if you're not ready right now, eventually I hope my organization will be ready to do something and be totally reciprocal as well on having space in Morton down at Lower Sioux here too for them to come in this space as well. So that is not just for myself, but it's really like a collaboration of like, how are we going to work together in the future? And I think that's really important. And I haven't found that with a lot of organizations. So I don't think this is something that's you know, easily replicated as well. But, you know, just really putting the time into relationships and getting to know people really well, having an understanding of how they approach this work um, and having appreciation for that. Ash, how about you? Yeah, I mean, that's what I appreciate so much about about working with Anne is too, is this deepening of the efforts that you might start to cook up. And then when you get to brainstorm and daydream with other folks who also have values that are aligned with yours and and hopes for your community that are similar that it's it's going to be better it's going to be better and but and it takes time and i think you know one of the things that i like you mentioned that might keep people from collaborating on that level is where does the time come from if you're super strapped scrappy young startup nonprofit but if you do invest in that way, then you do have more hands on deck, more minds in the cooks in the kitchen making the the recipe better, and uh, and then your 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 program project, your you know space, whatever it is, is going to end up being much richer and uh, much more meaningful, and and actually you know do what it's what it's set out to do, and I think like the you know the wisdom that Anne brings into the room when we are doing a design process together. It's invaluable. And it's like this, you learn a lot more than you would doing it on your own as a collaborator as well. So I think, you know, you're investing more long-term in a lot of ways in other people, but also in yourself. One thing I wanted to say about that time piece too, is just that thinking about how our systems and our, our structures keep us from from that you know our kind of white supremacist perfectionist and um, philanthropic structures keep us from having the time and space needed to really make deep and meaningful um, connections say more about that that's i i find that fascinating (laughs) well i you know there's never there's i don't know of any rarely is there ever a grant that will just give you time and space to make connections with people to become friends. So earlier when we said, you know, it would be great to know people before you apply for a grant with their organization. Um, Yes, like making friends with folks is very vital and like your time is very limited. So if there were more uh, opportunities in philanthropy to either loosen up what operating um, looks like, so like operating support could be like Uh, 10% of your time is just in partnership and relationship building, but it's paid for. So you can build it into your work week that you can hire your, you know, you can tell your staff, yes, that coffee you're having with that person is paid time. Yes, that, you know, the kind of gray hours between work and social where like you're having a beer with the chamber of commerce director 
and it's not work, but it is, but you're like, do I, am I getting paid for this? But like that you're my friend, but also, you know, that messy stuff, like just know it is, it's all, it's all part of the work and life and, and art and it's connected. But like, if there were more resources to really invest in that kind of relationship building upfront, then you would have less of this, like, oh my God, the grants due tomorrow. Do you want to partner on this thing? And people going, no, I don't even, you know, no, you've never reached out to me before. So I think that, you know, it, it needs to come from the ground up, but it can also be supported from this, the structures of financial resources that we have in, in philanthropy and public funding. What are the biggest stumbling blocks to productive collaboration, aside from the fact that, you know, time is a limited resource and you're not getting funding to build relationships specifically? Are there other major stumbling blocks you've encountered in terms of making collaborations work? I think um, the communication and clarity, like clarity of, of roles, yes, but also just like what the intention of of the collaboration is. It's like, oh, this is what I, I actually like just for this part, like this part of this thing, like we being very clear of what's expected. I think a lot of our time is really limited. So sometimes you can have a collaboration that's really deep and really entrenched and we're in it together from, you know, the, the whole project. And then it's like, you know what? I really need you at these four meetings. And I, and, you know, but that really works best when you already have a relationship so that it's like the accountability piece is there. You know that it's not tokenizing someone. You know that's not extractive, that it's like, I'm respecting your time. And I know that this is where we can, you know, offer uh, uh, whatever, a partner stipend, or we can, um, you know, know that like your your time is valuable. So we want to make sure that it's in these, in these areas where you have the most interest. Um, and I think then that kind of communication um, outward too, externally of, of, uh, being clear with the rest of your community or your stakeholders what this collaboration is and why um, is another, I think, stumbling block too of just like clarity around um, the intentions of the collaboration internally and externally. What have been some of the biggest rewards that have come to you from collaboration? When you look back at the collaborations you've had or, you know, maybe surprise benefits that you didn't expect, but that arose because of a successful collaboration? Um, I think it, for myself, it'd just be that it's just a continued process. I'm even kind of surprised, like, how long have I really known Ashley? I, like, watched her from afar, because a big dream of mine is always to have a building and a space, and I see Ashley and what she's doing in her community, and even the ability to really do a lot of outreach. Some people say they do outreach and community involvement, but that's sometimes a questionnaire or something. But this is actual physical being in the space, asking, getting feedback, making changes, and being open to, you know, a different outcome. Um, so I guess I think it's just that it's surprising me how it still continues to evolve. Ashley had offered when I was first starting out to actually sit down physically with me and help me write out my nonprofit paperwork, which no one's ever done except Ashley. <laughs> so, but, you know, like here, I'm willing to make that commitment into you. And then it's just continued to evolve from there. And so I'm always just surprised that as we continue to move, how it continues to grow and change. I continue to get resources from Ashley and from other, from Mary and Peter, like here, here's some different funding resources. I think this would be a great opportunity for you. What, do, what are your thoughts about this? I mean, so it's just like it continues to evolve. You trust those relationships that you have. And so you know that they're a good resource for you. Their connections that they have to other people would probably be really helpful and beneficial for you as an organization. So just trusting that whole process has been really surprising to me, and it's continued to evolve. So it's not so narrow. It's really about the relationships. How about you, Ash? 
I, yeah, I, I want to again, ditto everything that Anne said. And then, you know, thinking about the, the next level of relationships too, it's like the relationships with your collaborators, but then also the networks that you're collaborators and friends bring to the table, you know, one of the biggest challenges, I think lots of arts organizations, but I think in rural areas is like, how do you get the word out? How do people find out about what you're doing? And, you know, yes, you need like seven different forms of communication and seven different taps on people's shoulders. Um, And so having a couple of other folks in your network that are like, hey, here's a thing that my friends are doing, or here's something that seems interesting is like, key to the success of like you're reaching the people that you want to connect with and broadening and expanding your relationships and you know you have your like tight-knit collaborators but then like seeing the the ripple effects and the circles within the circles is like strengthening that base and helping to kind of invite more people into those those kinds of longer-term collaborations so I think that that's something that um, has been a, a beautiful, like maybe unintended benefit of just like making friends of friends or connecting with new artists to invite into working with our our organization or in our different events or programs is that our collaborators also have their collaborators and we can kind of continue to expand it together. It makes me wonder if like arts organizations are better at collaboration or not. <laughs> it's like a question because um, I, you know, what you just said, Anne, about like being willing to enter a process and not knowing, you know, like having, being open to change. Um, I think like me, it's like theater artists, like generative theater artists, like that's kind of part of the name of the game. You like invite people in and you workshop it together and you don't really know what the outcome is going to be. Um, so maybe that's like a good, that's a good collaborative skill, but I just, I'm just, it makes me curious, like our arts organizations, um, you know, more set up for success for collaborations or, or less, who knows? Cause we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward. I mean, you mentioned earlier funding, of course, and funding is always a big one, but what would be helpful or key to improving your ability to collaborate with others? What would make collaboration easier? Or should it be easier? I mean, isn't the work part of what makes it so important? Well, I think it it depends, I guess, on what the work is. Like, to me, it's like the artists that we work with and the communities that we work with. It's extremely meaningful to me. And so for that, for me, that's worth the effort. That's worth the time. That's worth everything. That's worth not getting paid. That's worth, I mean, it's just... That's worth it to invest in people and to invest in place and want to make a difference and a change. So that's worth it. Um, so I can't imagine it being too easy and I probably wouldn't do it. Like it was like, oh, this is so easy and it's so easy to come by, not a big deal. Um, but to me, I love going to small communities, see what they offer, see how they connect with their community. It's a different level sometimes. I relate it maybe somewhat to coffee shops, you know, where you have these gathering spaces too, where people connect and people like it really has a sense of community and how they reach out to people or how they collaborate or how they, what they offer, I just think is extremely interesting to me. And so to me, that's worth the effort. It's worth the time. It's worth um, the collaboration. It's worth the growth um, because I'm hoping that it will be long-term. It won't be short and easy and quick and I don't think it'll be as impactful then if it's not, or not as meaningful to me anyways. That's such a good point. Yeah. I think that like intentional informal spaces, like if, you know, you think about conferences or things like that, that used to be a thing, <laughs> and then, like, um, but 
but more, I don't know if it's like this opportunity just to get to know each other's work on a statewide level, like the rural to rural exchanges, I think are really important. And, um, and then I think, again, like thinking about if urban organizations are interested in collaborating with rural or even supporting rural collaborations, like even stepping out of the way and providing resources for rural to rural exchanges, um, if, if those resources are more available in urban areas. So yeah, that that intentional informal space for relationship building and and space and you know again yeah time and resources whether it's funding for that intentional informal um, relationship building space would be really vital. I guess, and this is just you know off the top of my head, but I'm just thinking about like issues of statewide infrastructure. Are there things that are being neglected that if they weren't being neglected would support you in doing your work better? Well, I think this comes up a lot of times for grant funding. I know Ashley and I have had this conversation with artists that apply for grants. Um, and even being on committees and everything else, I understand the logistics of these hard borderlines of fundable, non-fundable. Like literally you can live across the street and not be fundable from somebody else. I mean, where there's all these structure lines that happen. Um, even we see that as uh, for Dakota community, for exiled Dakota people who live outside of the state of Minnesota boundaries of how that, I mean, like really like I've been where people have gone to talk to the state arts board about understanding the relationship, why you would bring artists in from Flandreau, South Dakota. Why would you, is that not understanding the historical nature of the relationship and all the political and colonization that's happened to the state of like how we look at these structures. And so I really, you know, I it's hard to be like hard and fast with these rules when you're on grant committees of like what's fundable, what's not fundable, uh, where you live, where you're not included in that area, instead of really the contribution that different artists can bring or the collaboration efforts that can happen that are outside of these, you know, boundary lines that are created. I think that would be, I, I think that taking away some of that would be you know, just open up more possibilities. Do you think that there are misconceptions that people have about quality of life and the arts in rural areas? I think there's, you know, the dominant narrative is that that rural areas are uh, have have less, are declining, are dying, are you know shrinking, and um, and yes, that that permeates the psyche of rural places into this like scarcity mentality. But as we said earlier, there is so much abundance and so much richness in, in relationships and in the ways in which, you know, we can collaborate and share in resources. And we do know what each other are, are up to for better and for worse sometimes. <laughs> um, but that there's, there is, there is abundance. And um, I think that a lot of the work that I think Anne and I both do and why I love working with Anne has to be, has to do with celebrating that abundance, celebrating our cultures, celebrating um, ruralness and and uh, this this the the space outside of the metro area, yes, but like uplifting um, artists whose resource who might not have as direct access to resources that are like financial and urban centric, but have a ton of resources when it comes to connecting to their community, um, their cultural heritage, you know, knowing what their neighbors need and want, you know, that those like that richness um, is there, and if we can be a catalyst for you know, providing additional support to to lift that up. That's 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 what we really want to want to be able to do and help you know other folks from from urban areas or other areas not see rural communities as um, lacking, but that they are very 
rich and wealthy in, in, in what they have to offer in the arts community. Well, I think that's so important because I think that's why some of the work that I started to do is that I saw from sitting on all these different committees, like the millions of dollars in support that are given to artists in the state of Minnesota, but how few are given to artists of color, different rural communities. Um, and part of that is just really of understanding access, um, how you change those structures. Um, I know even for the Southwest Minnesota Arts Council that I sit on, um, you know, we changed the structure of the application process. We changed the structure of the accountability for how you reach out and have diversity in your board and also in who you serve as community and really kind of challenge those ideas. So it's not just the same people applying, getting the same money every single year, but how do we expand that process? And I think even like the grant application or the... Um, the call to artists that we put out for BIPOC artists, right, is specifically calling that out into these rural areas. So it makes people think, like, what does that mean and how does that apply and who are those people? I've seen, you know, even through this last call to artists for BIPOC artists, um, people who are first-time applicants that I know are artists that have never applied for funding before, who have never applied um, and had the... Um, just the faith in themselves as artists to be able to feel that they can do this and they can have access to some of these resources. So I think that's just extremely important to also um, feel like you're diversifying that access and how people apply. Even on the last application, right, you could submit a video if that's more, if that works better for you instead of these structures of, you know, definitely have to be typed. It has to be this way. It has to be formatted this way. Um, and wonder why at the same time organizations are not reaching out and having any new different type of diverse applicants as we're doing things a lot of the same exact ways we've always done them. And so I think that's just so important to look at, like, how do we change those narratives and to be more inclusive, but also to grow um, as rural organizations. Beautiful. Anne, Ash, thank you. This has been a fabulous conversation. Really appreciate you spending the time with us today. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you, Anne. Thank you guys so much. You've been listening to Filling the Well. Our guests for this episode were Ash Hansen, Executive Director of the Department of Public Transformation, and Anne O'Keefe Jackson, Executive Director of Minnesota Arts. I'm your host, Marianne Combs. Want to dig deeper into the ideas behind this episode? Visit the Arts Midwest Ideas Hub, a collection of free curated articles and tools to help creative leaders foster growth within their organizations and communities. Go to artsmidwest.org ideas for more. This podcast was produced and edited by Emily Goldberg and mixed by Eric Romani, with original music by Damian Strange. The Filling the Well series is made possible with financial support from the Barr Foundation. Based in Boston, the Barr Foundation's mission is to invest in human, natural, and creative potential, serving as thoughtful stewards and catalysts. <laughs>